Hello and welcome back to Control-Alt-Delete. This is an episode with Fern Cotton. She is one of the best known and most popular broadcasters in the UK. You will probably know her name and you probably listen to her podcast called Happy Place, which is one of the biggest podcasts on the Apple Podcast homepage at the moment. She is, of course, known for her TV presenting and her DJing at BBC Radio One and beyond and she is also the founder of the brand Happy Place. This came off the back of her first book called Happy in 2017 which was a Sunday Times bestseller. It was the first in a series of books with Fern talking about her own mental health, her experiences of happiness and her experiences of not being happy And that led to so many people discovering her brilliant books. The Happy Place podcast has had over 40 million downloads now and over 10,000 people attended her Happy Place festivals in person in the UK recently. And then the festival went virtual in 2020. I absolutely love Fern. I love her laid back, warm approach to her guests and to her work and to her curiosity. And in this episode, we discuss her new book, Bigger Than Us, which is such a brilliant book looking into the wisdom of lots of different teachers. She covers themes from intuition to energy, to manifesting, to ritual and prayer and star signs. And I love how she comes at it from not really knowing much about it, interviewing all these amazing people and kind of bringing it to us through her inquisitive nature, bringing us all the magical bits of life in a more accessible way and not being afraid to kind of go there with some of the woo-woo stuff, which I also really love getting into. So I hope you enjoyed this one. I went to Fern's house to record this one. So it was really nice to be in person and have a bit of a natter. Here is the episode and I hope you enjoy. So welcome Fern to Control-Alt-Delete. I'm so happy to be out of my house yeah and in your amazing podcast studio no zoom today I no love thank it. you i love it in here thank you for having me well welcome i'm so glad to have you around the house so we are going to talk about your new book bigger than us and i love this book so much i feel like i'm at the very start of my kind of journey into this stuff and when i read this book i was like oh my god i think this is going to be the gateway for a lot of people into this world that's like hugely high praise and i will take it and that's so nice of you but that's exactly what i wanted it to be because i think you know obviously with the work that i've been doing more recently in my career whether it's mental health based or you know, the lines are quite blurry, I guess, these days, but looking at spirituality or or just life, whatever you want to call it, sometimes you can read books or hear people talk and it is really overly um, intellectualized or just it's just feels like this is not for me. It's not my world. I don't understand this. Whereas, you know, I come from a working class family and I was brought up by a mum who had three jobs and my dad who had a a full-time job. And this was still something my mum was deeply into without any fancy lingo, without living in a certain area of the UK, without owning a single pair of yoga leggings. I mean, she wouldn't be seen dead in a pair of yoga leggings. And But this was still something inherently important and necessary for my mum and still is. So by osmosis, I was aware of that. And I wanted this book to have that flavour. I didn't want it to be like, this is for a certain gang of people that understand the mm-hmm. language I'm using and yeah. the you know, huge expansiveness of this subject. This is everyday stuff for everybody. And it's just that we get distracted and we don't focus on it. So I'm really glad that that, that that's what you sort of got from it. And um, 
I mean, this is just a taster. There's so much other stuff that I obviously couldn't include in experts I didn't have time to talk to. It's just an endless subject matter. Yeah, it's fascinating. And I love that on the first page you are saying that, that yes, okay, it's about spirituality and it is about other things that are out there that sometimes we don't even have words for, but you boil it down so early on in the book that it's like those moments where you are listening to a song and you you get sort of goosebumps or you're looking up at the sky or there's a coincidence or you have like a weird telepathic thing when you know your mum's going to ring you. There is something else at play and I feel like the world doesn't sometimes want us to explore it no. because then we would all be running around you know, trying to change our lives. <laughs> yeah, and we'd be connecting with ourselves and connecting to that other stuff and we would feel less of a need to buy shit we don't need. We'd feel less of a pull to be involved in any of that sort of materialistic world. You know, we've got to be realistic. We do live in a modern world where that is a big part of our everyday lives. But I think the more you get onto this sort of stuff, the less you feel pulled into what's going on in that area and what trends are at play or whatever. So, of course, you're less controllable. So that is probably terrifying to people that work in, I don't know, whether it's marketing or big tech companies, et cetera, because this is about really tuning into you, your intuition, but also the connection that we all have with other humans, but also nature and animals and all the inexplicable stuff that we haven't got language for. You know, it's all out there. It's all there to be explored. We just sort of get so massively distracted every day. I do. And I'm obsessed with this subject, but I still get hugely distracted and taken off course. And then I come, you know, right back to it because I know I need to. I'm dragged back into all the chaos again. And, you know, this book was my attempt to really immerse myself in this world, you know, during lockdown as well, and have many less distractions and be much more aligned with the stuff that I'm curious about and that I believe are more important than, you know, posting a picture of me wearing a dress on Instagram or whatever the shit's going mm. on, you know. So that was my attempt at doing that, basically. Yeah, I love that. And I love that you are really unapologetic in the book. Like, I love how in capitals you're just like, I love this stuff. <laughs> I do. Like, I love it. It's just, I felt like that too. <clears throat> I was like, to have someone finding so much joy from the curiosity as well. But I wanted to ask about the fact that obviously we've been through the last two years of great change, um, mainly through the pandemic. And it was like called the great pause, but also the rise in audiobooks and the rise in self-help books and people going inwards and reflecting more and maybe getting more spiritual has happened over the last few years. I know you've been interested in this for ages, but you say in the book you would have been scared to have written this book five years ago. What did you mean by that? I have always had a slight paranoia that, um, especially around people who either went to university or uh, have a job that is very expert-led or scientific or just basically clever people, let's put it plainly, um, that I would be seen as stupid, dumb, whimsical, unrealistic, um, or lucky to be able to have these sorts of thoughts or interests. Whereas this book is me, you know, really um, sort of protesting against that. This, again, as I said, is for everybody. This stuff isn't for like an elite or a certain group of people that have the time and brain space to tune into this stuff. This is the stuff that's going to help us more than anything else that's being promoted to do so. Um, so I think I've always felt worried talking about it, that someone would shoot me down and go, oh, get a grip. That's just such a load of bullshit. You're talking about psychic ability or, or whatever. But actually... The more I've got stuck into this subject, the more people I meet who not only have 
similar experiences or similar interests in it, but have taught me so much that you realise, no, no, this is the real stuff and all the other stuff's the fantasy bit. So now I've switched and I feel really confidently able to talk about this subject, not with any um, sort of expert-led backing on my part, but I can bring the right people to the table and say, oh my God, I know this wonderful shaman or I met this brilliant meditation expert who has a Taoist background. Let's bring him in or whoever. I'm lucky that I've met all these people over the years that have taught me so much. I've still got so much to learn. Um, and I just want other people to know about this stuff. I have a underlying frustration that we focus so much on, say, on social media. We give, you know, so much time and attention to, and I'm not slagging these people off because I've you know, imbibed a lot of their TV shows over the years, but say like the Kardashians, you have millions and millions and millions of followers. They might not always have loads and loads to say in those posts. It might just be a pretty picture. Fine, there's time and a place for that. But there's all these amazing people that I've met over the years who know so much that will massively help any one person who is to listen. And they don't have big platforms. So I'm going, oh, come on to mine because I've got nothing to say. So Use this and talk to people because they need to hear this shit. I need to hear this shit. So I think I'm very passionate about it because of that as well. And I see the sort of disparity between people that have got loads to say with a little platform and people with a big platform that have less to say. Mm, I know. I know. Without me being derogatory about them, because I'm not. I'm just. It's just a fact. <laughs> but it's also really good and refreshing to know that you can be a very successful, amazing person and have no social media presence. Like with Wendy Mandy in the book, yeah. you know, she's famously not really traceable. She's <laughs> and not. And yet she is a complete marvel and you bring you do bring her and her knowledge to a wider audience, which is amazing. I wanted to touch on quickly the the fact that you do say in the book that there's a phrase called spirituality light, which is like just like putting a candle on or mm. burning some sage or like doing some chants and thinking your whole life will change overnight. There is an aspect to this book, which is like, you do have to do the work as well. Did yeah. you want to make that kind of known in the earlier bits of this book? I think so. I think some of it was self-protection, if I'm honest, because I don't want people to go, oh, bloody hell, here she is waffling on about having to do meditations or buying some rose quartz, because that isn't part of my everyday sort of alignment with spirituality or again just living my life it's not something I play a big amount of importance into buying the right things having the right sort of setup to have this mindset and um, um, part of it was because I'd learned about it relatively recently reading Sarah Wilson's book who I adore mm. and she'd explored a lot of these subject matters she's so smart she's so observant and quick to get to the real like root of a situation and so that's how I learned about the term spirituality light which is more about you know there's nothing wrong with buying crystals I've got crystals in this house they look very pretty but I'm not like having to hold one to gather strength in my life I'm I'm willing to learn about them and the energetic values of them but actually you could own 80 bits of rose quartz and be sat there lighting your incense and <clears throat> zoning out. But if you've got shit you haven't dealt with from 10 years ago that you're burying under layers of whether it's distraction or blame to other people or whatever, this stuff isn't going to touch the sides. You could do yoga every day. You could drink wheat grass. You could smear reishi mushrooms up your arsehole. <laughs> it's not going to touch the sides if you haven't 
looked at yourself and looked at your own life and looked at your past and and not with judgment or blame, but with curiosity and with a willingness to see outside of the story that you've created. Because we've all got this story of like, I'm fun, I do this, I have this, these children and this is my job and these are my values. And we've created this whole story. And a lot of the time it's just made up from like morsels of experience over the years. And we sort of lose the plot a bit. And I think if we can get back to, again, that like proper connection with each other and with nature and with that energy and that's something that is bigger than us you don't have to have or do or buy anything Mm -hmm. it can just be you going for a walk and having that expansive mindset so I wanted to sort of cut out the bullshit bit and the bit that is easily commodified and get to like the bit that's really basic that you can just do that my mum was doing back in the day without this being a popular thing and what I love is that you've done this thing again, which you've done in your previous books of calm and happy and everything. And 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 something that actually I think you were one of the first people to do in this space is like really being very vulnerable about yourself because you're not saying, right, here's everyone else and I'm just going to interview them. You're You're really telling us some really personal things. And I think people would be surprised sometimes to know how like mean you can be to yourself. Awful. When, and and to of course we all can. But I think especially someone who, I don't know, is on a platform or, you know, looks like you and sounds like you and is you, the fact that you can beat yourself up to this extent is very relatable, but also I think quite surprising for people. It's my it's probably one of my biggest mental um barriers that I have in life. <clears throat> and I think it's really extreme for lots of really obvious reasons that I've been in the public eye since I was a child. Don't recommend that for good mental health. Um, It's not ideal at all. And you get so, well, I've gotten so used to outside opinion that I've certainly diluted who I am over the years to varying degrees at varying points of my life because there's bits where I felt really strong and bits where I felt really, really low. Um, And I'm also really aware of what other people assume about me. And I'm really uncomfortable uncomfortable about that a lot of the time. And it makes me want to hide a bit. And, you know, I have hidden away a little bit over the years in ways. I don't really do telly anymore, partly because I feel nervous as to who I am in that space. And I also don't get asked. I don't get asked to do it anymore. And so I then felt paranoid about why am I not asked anymore? Maybe I'm weird and maybe people don't like me. And then that spirals out of control again. So I've got lots of mirrors looking back at me all the time, more so than a lot of people do have. We all have people tell us things that we don't want to hear or blame us or whatever. I've had it on a very, very big scale for, I'm not saying like I'm internationally famous, but I've had it on an unnatural scale since I was a child. And it's, And I'm not the sort of person that's like water for ducks back, really strong, robust, thick skinned. I am a very sensitive human that probably shouldn't be in the public eye. I'm not built for it at all. So my way of dealing with it is just telling everyone everything and going, look, this is how I feel. You might think that my life looks all shiny and brilliant. And yes, there are bits of it that I feel extremely lucky to you know, be a healthy human and to have a roof over my head and to be able to walk into the kitchen, get something out of the fridge easily, all that stuff I feel grateful for every day, the simple, basic stuff. All the bits that people think are all amazing, like, I don't do this anymore, but if I'd ever been to like a red carpet event or worn a nice dress or interviewed someone that's super famous, that that's going to somehow make me 
more complete as a human is just bollocks. It doesn't do anything. It, you know, if anything, I don't go to those things anymore because I feel a sense of sort of emptiness when I'm there. And like, why am I actually, why have I decided to come to this? Why am I here? Unless there is an actual reason to be at something. So I'm really sensitive to like outside opinion. So as I said, you know, my way of combating it is just, I'm going to tell you everything. I don't expect you for all of it to resonate or for you to even feel anything about that. But maybe it will help. Mm. Maybe we'll have a connection there. Maybe you'll feel like you're not the only person who's lying awake at 2am with like your heart racing because that's a horrible, lonely place to be. So I don't want to like overshare for the sake of it. I'm hopefully doing it so people feel less isolated in whatever mental thing they're going through. Mm. I find it fascinating that the very thing that makes someone a talented interviewer, writer, artist, creator is the sensitivity that is also the thing that can keep you up at night worrying because, mm. you know, for you to, ha- you know, host like m- moving interviews with people on the podcast, for you to have worked in music and for that to be like really in your heart and soul and for you to like care about people. I mean, those are all the things that you would never want to go away. But it's like the same with me. It's like, well, the kind of paper thin skin I have <laughs> is good for writing my novels and like getting into my characters' heads, but it's not good for... um you know, scrolling through Instagram sometimes. Exactly. But I really do find it fascinating, this this idea that we get to a certain stage in life. And I would say that with traditional success, I know you touched on like the red carpets and stuff. I do think we still have this like barrier to break through, the myths of what success is, because I can't help but notice that a lot of people who get very successful then end up doing a lot of the things in your book, which is like being curious about other parts of life mm. and being like, right, well... I've seen the top of the mountain of like success. It's not enough. So I'm going to go over here now. People arrive at this place and it's not like like you're better than someone else having wanting to look into spirituality. I just happen to have a mum who was into it and by osmosis I've been interested in it. Some people will get to that place because of grief or like terrible loss and there's no other place to turn or tragedy in their life or whatever. Like you say, some people, there's a great documentary just simply called Happy and there's one. There's lots of narratives in there, but there's one story in this documentary where I think this guy was like a big movie producer and he had like the big mansion and the top job and then he was just like, what's, this is like, I don't feel any different. What's going on? And he moved to a tiny bungalow, got rid of his car, rides a bike and now is obviously exploring all these different avenues. So there is that sort of perhaps more cliched story that I think does happen. But equally, there's loads of people that are massively successful, super wealthy, fucking miserable. I've met loads of them over the years because there is probably still that belief that there is something else to come. And I, again, I'm always going to be honest with you. I probably oscillate between the two. Like sometimes I go, you know what? I'm going to be kinder to myself. I don't need to push myself to this ridiculous level to prove myself to anyone or prove myself to, to me, if that makes sense. Like, I just need to go for a walk and, like, look at the lovely sky and just get into that good stuff. Um, But then other times I will compare myself to my peers. Um, Weirdly, usually, especially my male friends, great friends of mine, but who are doing probably 10 times more work than me. And I then start to feel like, oh, my God, why can't I cope with what, uh, you know, a higher level of work or more content being created or whatever and I and I fall into I can easily go to self-loathing it takes me probably less than a second to go to self-loathing um and I can still even though I know all this stuff believe the myth that 
if I one day reach my elusive full potential, that I will feel complete and I will feel better. Whereas I know that if I just go back into the past, probably, unpick a bit of stuff there, look at why I carry a lack of self-belief or self-compassion, then I'll probably just feel better whatever I end up doing. I mean, you, you talked <coughs> to um, Rhonda Byrne in the book, and I know you've spoken to her before, and I've interviewed her as well, and she is an incredible woman. There was something really practical in the book that I took away, which was this idea of cancelling your thoughts that are not the right ones. And when you fall into that self-loathing, which I think is really, really easy for people, isn't it? That you, in a split second, actually, weirdly, can yeah. go to this place and it's like, oh, I'm back there. I get it sometimes. And I and I have been trying it out, this, this technique, which is similar, I think, to the meditation technique where you say, like, back to your thoughts, back to your thoughts. But with this one, it was like almost... I'm going to like control alt delete. Totally. <laughs> and delete I'm go- it. and I'm going to start again. And I mean, how much has she changed your life? And I mean all of this really. Yeah, I mean Rhonda definitely I've interviewed her a couple of times now and I the first time I interview, interviewed her on Happy Place, I was in a really shit mood. Like nothing major had happened, but like the kids hadn't slept. It was during the pandemic. I was homeschooling. I was like drowning in that and work and my son was really not getting on very well with homeschooling and I was just in a shit mood. And obviously that's backed up by stuff from the past that's always like lurking around. And after I spoke to her, Jessie, my husband was like, uh, your eyes are like dinner plates. Like what is, go-? I was like, oh my God. And then she said this and then she said that. <laughs> and you know, it, it getting to speak to these people is an amazing privilege and I do learn so much, but then I forget. And I go back to my old ways and back to my old habits. And like you say, such a quick turnaround from feeling, sometimes my brain is so sick that say something, Great's happened. Or like, I've just filed a copy of the book. I'm feeling really happy about it. I've just done a podcast. I'm really buzzing about it. My little sick brain will go, tell you what, I'm going to drag something up from five years ago just to ground you and humble you. Have that, you little shit. And I go, oh, God, I'm a terrible person. Why was I thinking I could celebrate myself right there? I'm a piece of shit. I cocked up five years ago and said something awful to someone. I could easily do that. So... I like Rhonda's technique of just deleting it because it's not even like you have to go and meditate or you have to go and do some deep diving into that, why that still hurts. You just go, delete. Mm. Why is that thought more important than a one of celebration or just a neutral thought? It's not. But we place importance or we label them good or bad thoughts. They're all just thoughts. It's all just chatter, blah, 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 Mm. all day long. So if you remember that that thought isn't more important than that one and vice versa. You can just delete it and not worry about it. It's easier said than done, but I do think it's a really good practical tip. It was really practical. The other thing I got from that section was, um, you know, living more in the moment, which sounds really simple, but what I mean by that is being literally who you are today because a lot of my anxieties come from like being my 13-year-old self who... I don't know, was like rejected in the playground or something. But why am I bringing that to like my 32-year-old self who is actually pretty good right now? And sometimes it, it even happens when I'm like turning up to do a work thing where like in this present moment, I've written quite a few books. Things are going really well. I should really believe in myself more than I do. But I'm going back to my past in a moment where I really should just turn up for the, the moment I'm in. And I don't know if this is making sense. No, it's a, it's a huge... I have a massive problem with this and it goes back to what I talked about earlier. If I'm interviewed, like say I've got to do press for something, I'm interviewed by a journalist who has slightly, you know, 
posher accent than me and I can tell had a different background to me or I know they went to uni or whatever it was, I instantly go back to probably being 15, 16. I went to a you know state school in Northwest London. Um, I didn't do well at school at all. I came away with like six past exams. I then started work. And again, obviously I'm 16, so I'm naive, I'm young, I'm fresh to it. I'm doing what anyone wants me to do. Um, not necessarily always being truly me because I didn't feel I had any worth at that point because I'd just started the job. So <clears throat> I can easily turn up as me then and go, I'm just a mm. silly kid on a silly kids TV show wearing awful clothes with no sense of style or opinion. Or When you see these really... I guess this is an assumption of mine, but sort of sophisticated young celebrities, whether it's, you know, someone like Billie Eilish or Millie Bobby Brown. And I think, oh my God, they're like 18 or in the early 20s. And they seem to be so sophisticated and like the clothes they're wearing and the things they're saying. And I was an idiot back then. Like <laughs> I was just talking absolute gibberish. And I can easily turn up as that version of myself. I'm 40. Like, I should not be feeling 16, but I think most of us do. Like, my mum even, my mum's 68. Sorry, mum, I just said that out loud. And she'd often go, oh, I still feel like I'm 20 or something. You know, I don't think that goes. And I think, again, to talk about it is to normalise it and go, we're just bringing our younger selves to the table. And, and actually, maybe that's not a bad thing. Like, maybe when we're 80, we'll be really rocking at life because we're still thinking in a very youthful, curious, inquisitive way rather than I'm an adult who knows everything and is very sophisticated and has my shit together. There's no growth in that. So I'm trying to, if I do turn up as a 16-year-old, I'm just sort of trying to go, well, maybe I'll have more curiosity or I'll just go in with sort of fresher mindset to this situation and not label it like a bad thing. Yeah, totally. I mean, self-compassion is a huge part of this book, which mm. I loved because, I mean, God, we all need some more of that. But I know what you mean. And it's almost like almost acknowledging the 16-year-old self and being like, okay, I hear you, but actually I'm taking over for a bit. Mm. <laughs> you can sit in the corner. I find that hard because I, <laughs> when I say 40, I think, I'm not 40. That's ridiculous. There's no way I'm 40. I can't be 40. There's still like a huge amount of disbelief that I am 40 and what that means. I think it means something very different to what it meant 30 or 40 years ago, you know, where people probably had kids a bit younger. Um, a lot of women didn't have careers, you know, so they were more based in the home. I'm making big generalizations here, but, you know, they're ones that have impacted all of us women. Um, and I think... There's no way that I could be 40. I don't, there's not a bit of me that feels 40. And sometimes, especially when I'm parenting my kids who are nine and six, I think, I'm not qualified to do this. <laughs> who, who am I to be doing this? To be raising humans, to be well-rounded people that grew up with self-compassion and an idea of what's going on in the world. I feel out of my depth every day with that one. The only thing that me and my husband can like, you know, sort of not agree on, to agree on loads, but get to a base level of is... We've just got to love them because I don't know. I don't know anything else. I don't know what I don't know what the right way of parenting is, the right way to get them to go to sleep, the right way to do homework. I don't know. I have no clue. I'm literally winging it, and I think a lot of it plays into. I don't feel like forty has the meaning I thought it would. I thought I'd be all like adult and sorted. I do not feel it. 
I mean, I feel like age is increasingly irrelevant in the world yeah. at the moment, especially the fact that like our life expectancy, fingers crossed, is so much longer now. 60 to me back in the day was like, oh my God, ancient. And now it's like, no, it's yeah. not. Yeah. It can... And I find that really comforting and inspiring. Oh, heaven. I just, I actually can't wait for that. Like, yeah, if I'm life gets better and better, I'm just going to wear like massive jewellery and yes. like, love life. Can we all be like Irish <laughs> and just wear like bangles down our arms? And yeah, I'm so up for that. <laughs> so I wanted to talk a little bit about how to trust yourself because I feel like what you just said about parenting, like it is all inside us. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I fall into the trap, I think, of putting everything onto like a guru. And I understand that a lot of people have earned the right to be a guru and they're experts and they are this like amazing person. But sometimes I feel like what I'm doing is trying to access it so that I can just have a little bit of it. Do you feel like there's a time where you almost need to be like, okay, thank you for teaching me what you've taught me. I need to like take this now. I don't know because I'm always open to hear other people's ideas. So, because I talked to, I'm going to do a huge name drop, Jada Pinkett Smith about emotional independence on the podcast. And she's very much like, I sort my own shit out and I don't need to ask anyone. And I and I think that's amazing. Like, please, can I be a bit more wow. like that? And I I have phases, like there are times where I text friends or actually I've got a sort of unofficial mentor who assigned herself with that role. <laughs> and I've gone through periods of texting them way too much. And I'm like, wait a minute, what am I doing here? Like, yes, this is amazing that I've got this support network of friends or whoever it is. But don't I know this? Don't I know this stuff? Like, I, I know this deep down, but I'm trying to convince myself of something so I think it's a bit of both because I still really want to meet new individuals who have got great ideas or advice or or even just text my mate going, oh, I'm having a shit day and I just feel like foggy and there's no real reason. And then they'll just say like, oh God, so am I. I just don't know what's going on at the moment. And I go, oh, I feel a bit better about that. So I don't, I'm not aiming for like complete emotional independence, but I do have times where I check myself and think, I don't need to text anyone at the moment. I don't need to listen to that podcast. I don't need to read that book. I don't need to tune into that one person on YouTube who has all the answers. I think I'm just going to go with like what feels right. And it's always something really simple. For me, it's always going for a walk. I've never gone for a walk and felt worse after. I and love is that having a walk. with nothing in your ears? It depends. Like I'm having a real phase of listening to Ludovico and Audi's new album, which brings me to tears. And I listen to the whole complete album and just walk around the park near me and look at the sky and definitely not checking my phone. That is an absolute no-no because the whole point is for me to just be out of that world. But I do like, because his music's sort of lyricless, I like just having that ambience and walking and sometimes mulling over things, sometimes just zoning out. Um, that I... I need to do that. What I really love about you and what you communicate on Instagram even is this kind of duality of like being really into this stuff and like really resting and taking care of yourself and obviously doing things for your body and your mind. But like there's an ambition. There's such a big ambition behind you as well. And like the growth of Happy Place, the fact that it did start as a podcast and it was this huge event. Now it's like a festival. It's like... I love that those two things can exist because I think there's a lot of literature at the moment about like anti-productivity and like doing less and that's mm -hmm. fine too. But I love that both can exist. 
I think you, as you get older, you realise, oh, this is who I am. This is what I'm like. I cannot sit still. It can be detrimental because I can go into this place of I'm failing because I'm not doing stuff today. Um, I'm not mo- I- I've got. I've realised my natural state is I have to have a feeling of moving forwards. That's not to something better, to something bigger. It's a movement forwards. It's hard to articulate, but if I don't have that forward movement, I feel really flat and low. And that could be um, me just painting at home on my own. No one knows I'm doing it. I don't even show all of the work that I'm doing. Um, But for me, it's like, oh, it's a forward movement. I'm creating something from nothing. I feel amazing in the moment. There's something to show for it at the end. So I have to have this, I guess it is a progression, but more so in learning and experience. Um, But I am really ambitious and I don't mind saying that out loud. Men don't mind Mm. saying that out loud. I'm certainly not going to feel bad about it being a woman and also a mum. I'm also at home all the time. My kids would probably like it if I actually went out more because I never socialise at night. They'd probably love to see the back of me rather than (laughs) nagging them to go to bed. But I am really ambitious because I think, why am I doing all this if I'm not going to give it my absolute everything? Like, what is the point? I don't want to get to a point one day as an old lady and think, I really, because I know when I'm holding myself back, the only reason I'm doing it is because I'm scared of what people will think of me. I don't like admitting that. It feels embarrassing. That is the only thing holding me back from doing all the things I want to do and how big I want to make happy place and all the projects I'm working on. I'm scared that people will think I'm arrogant, that I'm a you know twat who doesn't really understand the real world, um, that is too lucky or too this or too that, whatever. I'm so scared of outside opinion because I've been bombarded with it, I guess. Um that I do put boundaries in place. And I'm at the moment, I'm really at the point where I'm, I'm a bit bored of living like that. And I'm, I'm willing to see, well, what else could I do? Like, could I do telly again? Maybe if the right thing came up. Could I do live radio again and not have a panic attack before I go in the studio? M- maybe. Maybe not now, but maybe. Maybe I could do something that I haven't even thought about. Maybe. That's exciting. I want to feel excited when I wake up. I don't want to feel blocked and like, oh, well, I'll just do the same as what I'm always doing because then people won't give me shit. Really want to try and push myself a bit more. And I think we all feel like that a bit. Like, oh, well, what if my partner said this? What if my mum said that or whatever? Again, I just got it on a big level where I'm just nervous of what that reaction will be. Mm. And I want to get rid of it. Yeah. Well, I think most people would relate to that, the fact that, most people who are not changing jobs or trying a new thing or quitting their job or or just venturing into the unknown, like of course it's always what are people going to think of yeah. me? And whenever I did events around the multi hyphen method, which at the time I was only like twenty seven when I wrote that book, and I felt so much shame in a weird way about saying I thought work was broken and none of it made sense because I felt like that I'll just be like this entitled twenty something that doesn't want to work. But it was it was crazy how many people at the end of the events would say oh my God, I really want to change up my career, but um, I'm worried what my parents will think of me and worried what my husband will think of me. This wasn't strangers. It was actually like the people closest to them. And what I realised is that people close to you sometimes put you off your dreams because they love you so much and Mm. they don't want you to be hurt and like put yourself out there. But 
I find that so, so interesting. and But also this idea of being bored of your own bullshit. Yes, it does get boring. boring. Oh, I'm, so I'm, I'm reaching boring. that at the moment where, like what you just said about maybe just being like, this is me and I can't change. It's so freeing. Yeah, exactly. And the fact that you're hungry for new experiences doesn't make you a greedy person or a selfish person or, you know, that we can all try new stuff, like... Most of us can try new stuff. I'm pretty sure anybody can try new stuff. It hasn't got to be big stuff or stuff that's seen by everybody. We can try new things, whether it's, it could be a tiny thing like a new hobby or cooking or whatever, but that is exciting. Like you, you, I, I have this reoccurring dream. This is a bit random, but most of us have a reoccurring dream. Mine is the exact same dream I probably get once or twice a year. And I'm in a house. It's not my house, but as in the house I live in, but it is my house in the dream. And I open a door and I discover like three massive new rooms that I'd never... Do you have this dream? I've had this dream. Oh my God, it's my favourite dream. And I wake up going, oh my God, there's other bits of me that I don't even know about. I know that's what this dream is. And I and I can picture the rooms now. There was one of them was a really lavish 50s pink bathroom. It was fabulous. And it's like, oh my God, that is the case for all of us. There's always bits of ourselves we haven't explored. There's always new things that, not that we're good at, but that we're going to enjoy. It's not about being the best painter, the best writer, the best tennis player. It's about enjoying it. And I know there are so many things that I haven't discovered yet that I need to push myself to. And it's harder because, you know, I've got youngish kids and life is really hectic with all of that going on. So I've got less energy to go, go and start a new fucking hobby or whatever, or even learn about something new in a book. But I know it's there and that the possibility is there. And I just want to feel excited. I'm a bit of an excitement junkie, not for huge highs, but for like newness. Like, oh my God, I didn't know I could do that or be this. Or like when I left radio to start podcasting, I can't tell you the amount of people that went, I don't I don't get it. Why are you leaving Radio 1? It's like you do the big music show and you interview all these people. And for a bit, I was like, oh, my God, have I made a massive mistake? But deep down, I knew that I needed to explore way more stuff and subject areas on my terms. And this was the space to do it. And not everybody got that. And for the first few seasons, you know, seasons in my American series, I would say, oh, to the old music pluggers or whoever that I knew, do you reckon blah blah would come on the podcast? I'd go, no, they, they don't really do podcasts for their like run of press. They do now. Mm, hello, Dave Grohl. They do. They <laughs> fucking do now. Let me tell you. But they didn't back then. So I had to really hold my nerve and go, no, I'm really enjoying this. I don't care if it's not as big and shiny as what I was doing before on Radio One. This is so exciting. It's new. I feel nervous again and challenged. And I just want to keep feeling like that, really. Yeah. Yeah, because the, the narrative is sometimes that being young, like really youthful and starting at the beginning is that's where the exciting stuff happens. And I remember even like turning 30, I was like, oh, my 20s were really, really exciting. And, and now, you know, life will just probably get slower <laughs> and less exciting. And I was like, oh, no, it's the opposite. No, Things are getting bigger and more, more and more and more exciting. Yeah. But this reminds <clears> me, <throat> my my last sort of bigger question around the book was, about the law of attraction because you really unpick it in this book and obviously it's a huge topic I think people get it really wrong I think people get very confused with it thinking that you can attract an ex-boyfriend into your life mm. and all this stuff or five thousand pounds will just appear on your doormat when you have a bill to pay so I just wanted to maybe unpick it with you what you 
how how it plays into your life, how you feel about even the word manifesting. Because I guess you you just spoke about it then. Like imagining what could be is bringing it into your life in some ways. Yeah, but I guess, you know what, my my ideas around it have massively changed over the years. So I think I was probably like most young people as a kid, big daydreamer, wanted to create magic and get all this stuff in my life. And sometimes that stuff happened because I ended up in this job that I wanted to do very young and it all felt quite magical. I didn't come from that background. I felt like I was plucked out of obscurity to do this wild job. So I was much more, I guess, wanting to manifest or create these either isolated or very specific moments. And that's led to, I guess, the last few years, a lot of confusion for me personally because I've thought, I don't know what I want to create. I don't I don't know what it is anymore. Like I used to write a list of do the biggest TV show, meet Prince William, like stupid, in you know, isolated moments, very specific. And then I'd look back the next year and hope that I'd tick them all off the list. And, I'm, you know, fine, lots of people do that. It's quite a fun game. It's quite a curious, fun way of getting into it. But when you get to an age where you think, I don't know what it is I'm meant to be manifesting. I don't know anymore. Like, say I did put down to be asked to do the biggest TV show. What if I did it and hated it and then got loads of shit for it after? I don't know what's going to happen. That's out of my control. So the only thing I... Because I've just read some books on manifesting on this very subject. Because, again, I've just... It's always January. Everyone's manifesting. And I get a bit like... I feel a bit down about it. Like, I don't know what I'm meant to be manifesting. And the only thing I can land on that I would be happy to write in ink in a book is to like myself more. If I can do that, then the rest of it is irrelevant. If I do the big TV show or if I don't, if I progress in work or if I don't, if my kids are going through a challenging period or not, if I like myself, all of that will just happen Mm -hmm. and I will deal with it with more grace and with more clarity and in a more calm frame of mind. I'll waste less time beating myself up after. So as much as we can read about, think of this dream and you'll get it. What if you manifest your dream, dream job and then you hate it? We don't know what's going to happen. We just don't know. Or you could be doing your dream job and you're really happy doing it, but then something else bloody awful happens. We can't control like the minutiae of everyday life. So the only thing I can write in my little diary type thing that I have or like notebook that I have is just when I like myself more. Mm -hmm. That is the only thing I am am willing to allow that into like, hello universe, whatever you want to call it. I'm willing to be guided to like myself more, Mm -hmm. however that might happen. I love that. And that that feels so much more practical in some ways, doesn't it? Because if you take care of that, other things take care of themselves. Of course. And I, I interviewed this amazing author actually called Christina Crook recently, and she did a lot of work into how warm relationships is actually at the very centre of all successful people in whatever they do Mm. in life. Like if you have two or three warm relationships, and I love the word warm because we all know what that means. We all know what it means to be with someone who makes you feel warm. And she was like, if you take care of that, you will take care of your whole life. And sometimes it's like, yeah, you can get rid of all of the nitty gritty and just go into that one thing. And yeah, that's really, really nice. Yeah, because we just don't know what's going to happen. We just don't. Mm. And also, we could be blocking ourselves from other experiences, having a real laser focus on only one thing. The things that have 
been the most beneficial to me on the level of, I guess, enjoyment, like the podcast Happy Place. I didn't plan to do a podcast. I was having a really shitty time mentally when I was at Radio 1 and I needed to change. And so I let go of that dream of having to become this, you know, broadcaster of whatever level. And then all this other new stuff happened that I had never planned. I didn't manifest it. I didn't plan it. I didn't dream of doing a big podcast. I didn't really know enough about podcasts. But because I sort of let that one thing go, I then moved into a whole other territory. So I think if we're really laser focused, we're missing out. We're not looking at all this stuff here. So I just think, you know, it'll be different for everyone, but mine is to like myself more. That is the only thing that I need to cultivate and manifest. I love that. And your book, uh, in many ways, reminded me of like the first time I read uh, the Byron Katie book. Oh, I love Byron Katie. Because I realised, she's realised this from decades ago, that the minute you sort your head out is the moment actually everything is like a domino effect. Because I know in in her book, she says that if you start questioning your thoughts and you start realising what's lies and what's truth, you miraculously over time, like your diet might change, your friendships might change, not even with your own doing, just because you're acting living your life in a different way mm. and so I love that I love this idea of not like grasping too tightly for things and just like letting it happen yeah I mean I'm I'm so not there yeah I'm so not oh my like, god me neither I love, I love how I'm saying all this but I'm like no, but I'm not you, there but the, but the awareness is the <clears throat> the foundation of all of it isn't it like I I'm certainly not a place where I'm like yeah I've really sorted out my my demons and my head's really in a good place and everything's just sort of happening around me you know, like yesterday and the day before, I felt like shit, like for all sorts of things that were going on circumstantially and just the feeling of lowness. And and then I was feeling lacking that I wasn't working hard enough and comparing myself to other people. I don't feel like that today. Today, I feel really buoyed that we've had a great chat and I've got a nice work day ahead of me after this. And my son did his homework beautifully last night. It was the first time ever that he wanted to do it. It was like a breakthrough moment. And I feel good about that stuff, but I'm by no means like stable and sorted forever. So it's all happening. I'm only writing these books and doing this podcast so I can keep learning, so I can keep aiming towards hopefully one day feeling not like complete enlightenment, but just a bit more peace mentally, not the whole full hog, but just a little bit more peace. So I'm less stressed out or I sleep better or whatever it is. I'm not aiming for the stars or I'm just like, I want to feel a bit more peace. Yeah. Well, thank you so much because in this book, you really take us by the hand. And you say that, you're like, I'm on this journey too yeah. and I haven't figured it out and neither of you who was reading it. And so that really makes this book really powerful and you're putting so much goodness into the world every single day. So well, you should you. be very, very proud of yourself. Oh, but thank thanks. you, Fern. Well, same goes for you and I'm just so glad that we got to hang out today Me and too. just get into the meat of stuff. Yes. Well, if you want more from us, you can go over to Fern's podcast at some point where we have had a conversation on Happy Place. very good chat. (laughs) So all the links will be below and thank you again. Thanks, Emma. 